IntelliKey Leadership Stories with your hosts, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Connect with us on LinkedIn or visit our website, pureintellikey.com. Here's your host, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to IntelliKey Leadership Stories. I'm Mark Stenson. My co-host is Kirsten Gouldy. Hello, everyone. Well, we just continue to have such great conversations, don't we, Kirsten, with leaders from all over and all kinds of businesses and all sorts of lifestyles, don't we? We do. We cross every spectrum. There's no borders. We have people from all over with various modalities, disciplines, focuses, but all striving to reach potential for themselves and for others, which I I find beautiful and unique at the same time. And that's exactly the areas we want to pursue today. And our guest is Winona Satcher from Atlanta, Georgia. Winona, so good to have you. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad to be here and excited about this conversation. Winona is the founder and CEO of a terrific company called MakeHers Studio. And I want to emphasize that pronunciation because there's so much meaning in that. I know, Winona, you'll tell us about it, but it's M-A-K-H-E-R-S, Make Hers Studio. It's a green manufacturing design build firm in Atlanta. And Winona and her team are really using architecture and modular container manufacturing and all sorts of urban development principles to make space for people and make inclusion spaces uh, in, in the communities there. She's won of a lot of awards and been listed in a lot of social impact kind of groups. And we're just so glad to have you share some of these stories with us, Winona. Thank you. Now I'm excited, Mark. I guess as we get started, Winona, this idea of space and inclusion and helping people meet their potential by living in community with other folks with similar hopes, wishes, and dreams. Tell us about that mission of yours. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's really about what we, what I call creating prosilient communities. And you, you typically hear the term resilient, which usually is an afterthought, uh, after a natural disaster or after there's a catastrophe you know, how do people bounce back? And often at, by the time you get there, the community has been uh, destroyed or dissipated. It's been stretched far and wide. And so then all of a sudden you don't have the, the fundamentals that make an equitable and inclusive community anymore. And you have to tend to start over. But what we want to do is create what we call resilient communities, uh, which is a proactive approach to community building, to practicing community, which I consider being communal and creating spaces that allow for as many much of a diversity of voices as possible. And in doing that is really understanding your role. You know, my grandmother was a huge community advocate, took part in a lot of sit-ins and marches here in Atlanta with uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and Raphael Abernathy, Andrew Young, other civil rights leaders. And one of the things she said was that that made it so, made what they did so so strong was that everybody understood what their role was. Mm -hmm. You were very clear as to what your role was. And sometimes that meant uh, not being on the on, uh, being at the front. Sometimes that meant being uh, underground and building new systems as old systems were being challenged. Uh, and so, what what does that look like? And so, I think for us, uh, the more we can, we're not really in the business of empowering people. It's really about uh, inspiring people to empower themselves, but creating using design, using the built environment. Uh, as an opportunity to create platforms for people to understand and question and begin to dive deeply into what their role actually is. Uh, And then how do we democratize access to that? 
that's really what we do. I mean, that, the structure itself is, you know, affordable housing and modular construction and customizing shipping containers to create affordable residential, com commercial, and community spaces and affordable medical clinics and so forth. But at the end of the day, it's more than that. You know, it's really about the infrastructure, not just the structure. And what the, the equipment that you need to be successful, to create generational wealth, to lessen the negative impacts of gentrification, uh, but to build uh, stronger, better, and new systems. You realize in the work that, again, going back to, your, to what, what is your role? And for me, it, it, it is not necessarily protesting old systems, but building new ones so that those that do protest and are on the front line, once those systems, if those systems fall, the ones that are quite oppressive, the ones that are not ingrained in you know, generational work, uh, wealth and compassion and, and empathy, the total opposite of that, when those fall, if they even do fall, we have already built something or started building things that are empathetic, that are critical to a better way of life. So we are builders. Uh, we are designers, and that's where makers comes from. I mean, yes, I'm a female-owned business, uh, but we make things. Uh, and so now it's how can we help communities not just make things, but really control the, the value chain from the raw material to the, the product so that you, you continue to have this flow of information and knowledge and resources. That's so interesting because on the one hand, you think that this is a kind of a real estate development, you know, finding the, the available land, you know, and then constructing something on it using, you know, all manner of tools. And like you said, a, as a women owned business, but it seems like there's these other principles that are driving this, <laughs> you know, that the expression mm -hmm. is real estate and construction, uh, sure. but you're talking about a, a different kind of a purpose, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. And, and it is part of the purpose is, is about being the collective. And so usually when you're talking about you know, real estate development and even you know, architecture, landscape architecture, my background is landscape architecture. And so it's really looking at the entire ecosystem versus just the, the building itself. But that, that gives you the ability to look at things holistically and, and start to, to figure out the solutions that we want to make and create if that they make sure that they are grounded in this notion of connection and that, that, that they're grounded in this notion of empathy and they're grounded in this notion of the collective so that everybody can participate in how communities are made and designed, not just us telling people how to design their communities, but you're telling us how you want your communities to design and so that we all are part of the change that we seek versus, you know, the opposite. It is very, to us, design is a very collaborative process. I think especially women are natural builders anyway, community builders. And so how do we focus that on various aspects of what it means to literally design equity and design inclusion. So it's more than just the shipping containers. You're absolutely right, Mark. It's more than just for us. It's more than just uh, modular construction. It's more than just construction. It's more than just development. We know land is important, but how do you, what do you do with it? And is it, is what you do with it in inclusive and cooperative? That's what we are all about. If it's extractive and exploitative, then that's not what we do. And unfortunately, that has been the hallmark of the manufacturing, construction, and real estate industry is very extractive, exploitative, and destructive. We're the total opposite. We want to be proactive and non-exploitative and definitely not destructive. We want to be as sustainable as possible. 
Mm. You know, I, one, I commend you. Oh, and I, because <laughs> even all of the words that you're using are so incredibly refreshing because mm. I come from a corporate world and those words are not incorporated into any of the dialogue. You know, I mean, you spoke to supply chain and mm -hmm. value throughout the entire supply structure to create generational wealth. That is not a conversation in a boardroom. Mm -hmm. So how do you build something like that from the ground up where you actually do have such a cooperative, inclusive think tank? Because it does require everybody sitting at the table, set aside a lot of ego yeah. and a lot of potential financial gain mm -hmm. for themselves, mm -hmm. individualized. No, Kirsten, you're absolutely right. And I, I think, you know, well, I mean, on one hand, luckily, I think my personal and professional experiences to the table personal experiences being a Black woman country, you know, dealing with her share of uh, racism and misogyny and, and so many other unfortunate issues and, and living in communities that are constantly gentrified and wanting to create a space where gentrification from a return standpoint works for everybody, right? Like I, I think everybody deserves a return on their investment, but that's just it. Everybody deserves a return on their investment. So it's really the same it's, it's both sides of the same coin. It's just one's, one is, again, exploitive and one isn't. But with that being said, part of my professional experience is I used to, for a small, about four and a half years, used to work for local government. That You mentioned corporate, uh, the corporate space. Well, none of these words are mentioned at all also in, in local government, which is part of the, the problem. And so you're talking about those that, individuals that make policies and land use decisions at the local level, which is very critical to whether or not you have equitable communities, those ideas get left out. Collaboration, cooperation, empathy, equitable land use policies, you know, ways to finance community development. I mean, these are things that are not, typically there's lack of innovation in that space. But working for local government allowed me to have experiences where I was working very closely with residents and communities, whether they were considered marginalized or wealthy. And I met a, a young lady who also is in real estate development when I worked for the city, a city uh, government. And she said, you know, what I realized is that there, there, there needs to be people who create a vocabulary or, or a common language that can connect the high wealth with the marginalized. And who, who's going to do that? And so we, I think we have positioned ourselves to be that particular catalyst. And so the experiences through working for local government, working specifically with communities, I grew up in, in Atlanta grew up work, you know, volunteering in soup kitchens at age six and, and on up. And just that living a life of service and living a life of empathy, you know, helps us to create a platform so that you collaborate at the front end versus building a product or a service. And then all of a sudden you want to collaborate at the end and it's just not going to work. So that's how we create these, how we're thinking about creating a new system is collaboration at the very beginning, bringing everyone as part, along with you as part of the process and then measuring that. You know, one of the things that's been frustrating is part of what you were saying, Chris, as you don't hear, for some reason, people think that you can't measure quality or you can't measure empathy. Well, you can mm -hmm. if you build it into how you do mm -hmm. your work and how you do your business. So our logic model includes those metrics at the very front end. So that way we can continue to measure and sustain the level of change that we want. So it has to be very purposeful. It has to be part of your operations and your strategy, not just your outputs and outcomes. Uh, and then specifically with the industry that we're in, 
how can we then take those outcomes and outputs and influence uh, how policies get made at the, at the local level? Because that's really what is going to help us to sustain the kind of change. And that's just a system that we're in now until new systems get built. Will you do uh, me a favor? Will you rewrite the Webster Dictionary? Can you just start a whole new dictionary for us? Yeah, because I, I just looked up prozillion and I did not see it. It's not, it's not, in, no, it's not in there. It, it is not in there. There's something I, that I kind of came up with. Um, oh, good. Well, then in that case, just put a TM on it. Don't put right. it in the dictionary. Exactly. And, um, wow. yeah. So, Winona, I am curious, as you were talking about some of this, you know, urban development and especially mm -hmm. the gentrification, you mentioned, is there a way that everyone can benefit, let alone profit from this kind of, because I think when we think of gentrification, we say, you know, tear down the projects or tear down the old houses, this yeah. old rundown building, let's get mm -hmm. rid of it. And then we're going to build something shiny and new, but the people who used to live there can't afford it anymore, Right. but mm -hmm. the real estate values will go up. The right. city wins because the tax base goes up, but the, we lose the community part. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I, and I, I literally don't know sometimes where the people do go. I, I live near a relatively large mobile home park, which you could say is a, a blight on the mm -hmm. block, but you tear it down. Where do the people go? So I, I'm curious as to when you say, let's be inclusive and all parties can benefit. How do you see that? Yeah. I think, so there's many layers to it. I think that's part of it is it's very multidimensional and part of, you know, one component is ownership. How can we you know, create uh, a pipeline for, for individuals to be able to you know, rent and then own where they live. You know, one of the, and you mentioned the mobile home parks. One of the challenges with mobile home parks is that, it, you know, those aren't owned by the people that live there. And these are, they're essentially as chattel. It's just the thing that you live in. And because of that, the actual people that own the, the, the land itself can, can almost do what they want to do, which causes the displacement problems. So the ownership piece is, is one, but how do you even get to that point? Part of it is understanding how you build, because how you build and what you build affects what gets built. So with construction costs increasing, land costs increasing, especially in urban areas and our urban cities are growing rapidly. The myth is that land is scarce, which also in increases the cost to live there. The myth is that only affordable housing or housing affordability should only be in low wealth communities. Well, when you concentrate uh, affordable housing in certain in, in one area, then that's when you start getting not really good results. You start getting, you know, every it's, it's, it's not inclusive. It's not, or it's not diverse. Mm -hmm. uh, so you don't you don't have a variety of thought and a variety of people who live in that neighborhood, from teachers to police officers to CEOs living in the same space. So that that can cause a, a problem. The myth of what, that I mentioned earlier about that there is not that the land is scarce. The reason why I say that is well, conventional construction. Yes, if you try to build a home or a single family home or an apartment building, which most of our apartment buildings now are, the, are at the luxury end. Yeah, it's, it's difficult because construction costs are high and labor labor is low. But if you utilize modular technology, like what we do with shipping containers and there's other types of modular technology, you can build smaller spaces on smaller parts of land. And so all of a sudden, the more people you have on a smaller piece of land starts to make sense financially. Going to the financing piece, innovation and how do you finance and pay for equity, right? Because equity inclusion is a cost to that. And saying that you are a developer where you have a thousand market rate units, but you're only, you're excited because the city is going to provide you with a, a tax credit benefit of providing a hundred affordable housing units, but that doesn't really make much impact. So 
part of it too is in order for us to be able to build affordably and build more affordable housing, it has to be affordable for the developers and for the builders to build it. That goes to land use and local city and city planning uh, opportunities. You know, right now, building our first projects has been frustrating locally because cities aren't used to building things differently. And so we're building a small space to accommodate, you know, someone that can afford to live in, a, that couldn't usually afford to live in a wealthier area. But because it's a shipping container or a modular, using modular technology to build it, cities like, well, we're not used to used to people building with like that. So we're just gonna charge you the same price we charge everybody else to build a four, a four bedroom house. Well, that's not gonna work. <laughs> like you can't, that, 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 that math doesn't add up. Yeah, yeah, that math doesn't add up. And so you have, and so that requires, okay, well, where do we build it? Backyards, you know, where do we build accessory dwelling units? These are one bedroom micro homes behind people's houses. The land is already there. There's plenty of backyards. You can fit one of our units. And all of a sudden you get 10 neighbors who agree to hire us to do backyard units. Those are 10 small homes that are built in less than a few months. And you begin to see how that can grow fairly quickly. So that is available land. We have a lot of lighted strip malls with retail centers changing, of course, with COVID exacerbating that. Shopping malls, strip malls, these are places that are not well utilized anymore. Our spaces that we build, our shipping container pods are eight feet wide. A lot of these parking lots and these strip malls are eight feet wide. So parking spaces. So imagine what you can do with that much space that people mm-hmm. say that that doesn't exist. So it's about, it's really an education and, re, and reimagining space. It's an education and reutilizing existing space for better outcomes versus the typical system of extraction. You just build something and throw it away and all of a sudden everybody's blighted. It's unacceptable. So it, for us, it's all about reusing materials. It's all about reimagining land is all about reimagining existing zoning and housing policies so that you still don't, not just gentrification challenges, but also racist uh, housing policies uh, where people have been redlined uh, and, and it's still there, but it's termed a little differently. People have been, there used to be block busting and there's a whole, you know, again, it's very multidimensional color of law is one of my favorite books that really explains a lot of where all of this comes from and the history of why communities are made the way they are. I think also it's really educating people on what it even means to have affordable housing. You know, is it a Section 8 conversation? Is it workforce housing for your local barista or teacher? What, what does that mean? And I don't think a lot of people have that conversation. And so you have this nimbious, you know, not in my backyard attitude that, yes, I think Black Lives Matter, but I don't necessarily want Black lives living next door. That's part of getting this inclusive and, and very diverse community development moving forward. So we have to start defining, understanding what this means understanding that a lot of us are on the verge of also potentially being homeless because all these our property taxes are increasing and we could be gentrified as well. Also, our seniors needing places and veterans needing places to live. Multi-generational living setups are starting to come back now because people are realizing the benefit of having their grandparents uh, age in place with, with younger family members and grandkids and, and the idea of storytelling and passing down family history, mm-hmm. all these things are coming more into play, even with the growth of technology. I think people are starting to, we're starting to need each other again, especially since COVID, needing that person-to-person interface versus just a tweet or something on Instagram. We can literally do all of this through housing, through community building, and through how we construct these spaces. And so that's what I mean about how you construct and where and with what material. Mm-hmm. So we're posing that we can build things quicker 
with quality and cheaper on less land, and all of a sudden, land, everything opens up. The potential is there, the opportunities are there. How many parking lots do we have in cities that are not even in use? Those can be transformed into our modular units for multifamily housing that we can stack. What we build is hurricane proof. You know, so now you're talking about climate change shifts that we can build structures that can withstand certain elements until we create better systems for better sustainability. I mean, I know that's a very long but an answer, Mark, but I, I guess my point is it's so multidimensional and we, especially in local government, look at these issues as very one-dimensional and wonder why we can't, we're not solving the problem. Yeah, we got to look at but them it's, all, it's, we? It's, we got to look at them. Yeah, you know, it's financing, it's funding, it's how we build, where you build, and, with, and educating our neighbors on what it means to live affordably. Yeah, very mm -hmm. good. So I have a thought here and I'm gonna take us out on a limb into a whole other conversation if you will indulge me on this one, but you used words like reimagining. So I've studied the shamanic indigenous cultures and it's appropriate use of land, mm. right living, right exactly. alignment and mm -hmm. everything that you're speaking to really is, you know, they talk about dreaming. We're talking mm. about dreaming new worlds, mm -hmm. bringing in new ways of being, but going back to mm. the honoring of the land. You even use one of my favorite words, the storytellers, right? Yes. Those mm. that pass down traditions and cultures and how we stay in right alignment. So I guess my question to you, mm -hmm. how does all of this apply in, you know, universal spiritual laws? that mm -hmm. you're speaking to, mm -hmm. that it's almost like a coming home. It's mm -hmm. like a, and it feels really quite beautiful when you speak oh. to, it. I feel like I would be sitting with my indigenous teachers yes, in, mm -hmm. and all over the world, not just here mm -hmm. natively when I say mm -hmm. indigenous. So how does that apply for you? In, in so many ways, I'll say one thing is as a landscape architect, how, how I view the world, there's a couple of ways. One is that any, anything that we do in our company or anything that I do is to look at how to, how to design spaces where I can create purpose, what I call purposeful serendipity, right? So how could I use a structure or a strategy to design a space that allows for people connection, interconnections to work? So it's like putting control to design and build something with no control, if that, if that makes sense, to allow whatever connections happen to happen safely and, and in a very fluid way. And I think the only way to do that really is to trust the space, to trust the land, to um, really understand the, the different layers of what, of what is there. There is a term that I like to use that I actually learned when I was in design school. It's called palimpsest. And basically a palimpsest is the material that you, you write on and then you erase it and keep writing on it and you erase it. And I think the, the, the philosophical theory behind it is every time you erase it, there's a little bit of something still left from what was there originally. And so, it, and, and, but when you look at all the layers of what used to be there and what's there now, it's what I call these emergent properties that are kind of floating around this, these little magic pieces of old stories and narratives, uh, understanding the geography uh, and the geology uh, of the site and how do you build with that in mind and the indigenous cultures that were there and in their history and how do you use that information to build something new and really indigenous cultures around the world, a lot of what they have taught, even though they have differences, there are a lot of similarities in how we develop our land and we're all tribal at the very core, but modern ways of development and suburban development really has unfortunately become the, the 
almost the antithesis of this notion of, of tribal, of village. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm talking about reimagining space, it's that's a big part of it is how do we reimagine space where you have this nice balance of multi-generations living there, narratives, all of these different layers in this palace, you know, in the same space so that you can begin to light that fire, that spark of what history used to be, what made the space what it is, the beauty of it, the richness of it, the culture of it. Well, the way we're developing our land, we're exploiting that, we're extracting that, we're lessening that. And I think we're seeing that and just how we are not able to communicate as passionately as we used to. And a lot of that has to do with our patterns of development. And what we're saying is we can't keep, we can't keep doing that. And so we really have to pay attention to the many layers of where we build of our sites and how does that affect how we build physical environment, but also how do we build relationship? Everything is relational and it's, it's everything, everything from the distance of building our spaces near a park, building porches on the front of our residential units, right? Because a porch allows a different kind of interaction to the street and to the the person across the street and to your neighbor versus living, having a yard that's three or four acres with no trees, no mm-hmm. ecosystem for birds and butterflies, no understanding of what's happening in the, in the neighborhood over there or down the block and not understanding that we're all connected. It really is about a connection. In fact, I was talking to an urban farmer not too long ago who focuses on, on mushrooms, focuses on Instagram, you know, looking at the mycelia and, and talking about how the mycelia is like the ultimate connector when you're talking about vegetation like it is like the oldest connector uh ground cover that we have what's interesting is that's how we view how we design spaces is that it's all connected all of the sites are connected but you have to pay attention to the ecosystem itself and which what kind of ecosystem you want to create and then the social piece to that is how can people have access to it as many people as possible and that goes back to mark some of your questions about how to get as many people to have access to all of those different layers of culture, of, of history, of the built environment. For us, it is having those individuals build with us. And we've gotten away from that too. Even when we're doing our land use development policies, it's funny to talk about even designing a crosswalk across the street. You know, a lot of times these something simple like that are all de- designed and built by males. What happens? Well, you know, a female who or a single mom or a mom or a dad might have a child or it might be a senior citizen trying to cross the street well you've designed the street based off how this person perceives and not off how they would have asked someone else how they cross the street well that matters because a car going you know like 30 miles an hour or 40 50 miles an hour down a neighborhood street well a senior might not be able to walk as fast as i can walk as fast across all of this matters as to how we make the connections between how we inhabit this this planet and we've gotten so far away from that. We've created policies that are antithetical to that. And what we're saying is we can't keep doing that. Let's create a new system uh, that really looks to all of these different components, all of the different quanta that you mentioned, Kirsten, and how, we, how do we reconnect with ourselves and with the land? And how do we design to make sure that we are designing with the land versus the opposite, which is what we've been doing for so long. Right. So that's our position on, on our work and why I think we, we think it's important. So insightful. Well, Winona, I want to ask you about your own journey, but just to remind listeners, we're talking with Winona Satcher. She's the CEO and founder of Makers Studio in Atlanta. So Winona, we've talked about the potential for residents, for potential of communities. Let's talk about your own journey and your, your seeking of your own intellect <laughs> and your potential. Where, where has that journey 
taken you? And you mentioned the ups and downs, the roller coaster, mm-hmm. especially of being a black woman in America right now. But with your education, with your company building and the community you built around you of other founders, of other entrepreneurs, where, where do you gain your source of purpose? Uh, really in my experiences. So, and, and they've, there's, you know, they're kind of all along this really interesting spectrum um, of community work and servant, what people call servant leadership and really understanding that, you know, leadership is, is not about me. It's, it's really about creating a fellowship and inspiring people to want to help you help make help the world become a better place. So with that being said, not knowing how to articulate that years ago, but seeing that's kind of what I've been doing is, is very welcoming. Uh, there's a couple of experiences that have led me to what I'm, what and why I'm, what I'm doing now. One of those experiences took place when I was in college uh, in design school. And I always tell this story, I'm meeting a young girl in Mississippi and a black girl, and she, she had never heard of the civil rights movement. And this was 2002, 2003. And that was quite devastating to hear that uh, a young girl had never heard of that and all of the sacrifices that people have made for her and, and even how she could fan her voice to make a, a difference in our society. She didn't even know she could. And realizing that as a designer that I could use this as a platform for social good, but all she needed was a safe space to be able to learn her history. All she needed was a safe space to feel like she was in a community of learners, community of people who were empathetic to the fact that she didn't even know her own history. And so that started to lead me down this more philosophical notion of design that is so much more than just the built, the touchy-feely, the tangible part of community. I, uh, when I worked for, the, for local government, I did a, an event called Thanksgiving in Spring with, uh, in partnership with a local business. And we created the longest dinner table in that particular state. It, the idea originally was, how could I creatively bring people together? Well, we know food tends to always work. And it does and, in my house. <laughs> yeah, it does here too. Um, food always tends to work. Well, so at that time I had done some work with uh, local tech entrepreneurs. I had done some work with foodies and food entrepreneurs. I had done some work with urban farmers. I had been working with uh, other community advocates. And so the idea was to, from a ge- geography standpoint, find a location where three different districts came together, districts meaning different neighborhoods of different economic and socio, socioeconomic spaces, and pilot and test the notion, could I actually positively bring all these individuals together around one table? And of course, the notion of one table can mean lots of different, different things, but literally one table. Uh, and so my initial uh, goal was, you know, if I could just get 100 people to come up to, to show up, I'm going to be happy. Well, 700 people actually showed up, <laughs> uh, and um, we had mayors, we had all kinds of individuals, we had a local brewery bring a whole bunch of free beer that we didn't expect that they were going to do. We had several of my coworkers within city government and other departments that I had never even met. They were doing their own food cook-offs to see who had the best chili, who had the best this, <laughs> the food entrepreneurs, they provided the main entrees. Uh, because they were sort of, you know, they, they already had all their food and health licenses. Some of the churches grilled out and brought their food. Residents brought their own tables. So you had this really neat mixture of different tables set up along want to create one long table. People, people danced in the street that would never normally meet before. So I thought it was really cool. I was really excited. And I was like, okay, well, I proved my point. Food works. Food brings people together. 
Well, the next year, somebody said, we had to do it again. And we ended up having 2,500 people. <laughs> and one lady came up to me and she said, uh, and she was a, a white woman. And she said, you know, she said, I, I was heavily involved in civil rights uh, back in the, in the in, you know, late 60s, early 70s. And she said, I have never seen since then, I had never seen such conglomeration of so many different types of people sitting and communing together in this kind of a space since then. And that was such a remarkable testimonial to someone who had, who had fought in that space to, to say she had never seen that since. Well, the same day, a couple, maybe an hour later, this other gentleman walked up to me and said, you know, I'm actually homeless, but I don't feel homeless because we're all on the same line. We're all getting the same food. Nobody could tell that I'm different from them. And so these are the little just instances and iterations that kept aligning me with the, this purpose of creating that vocabulary that I spoke earlier of using my work and voice to bring so many different types of people together to create their own new systems. And these are things that I thought about doing, but it all came from a place of empathy. It all came from a place of being connected and reimagining a street become a table for so many different people and reimagining wood pallets. We use, I work with an artist to create wood pallets where people could write their thoughts about certain ideas about transit, about housing, and be very honest and open about what they felt. And some people felt like, you know, I shouldn't have done that because people said what they felt and it made people uncomfortable. And next thing you know, I started getting audited and written up <laughs> for doing it. <laughs> and so that's when I realized, okay, it's time to be an entrepreneur. This is, this is not, this is not, this confining space isn't working. But what it did tell me was that people are hungry to be heard. They just need a platform to, to be able to, I wouldn't say have a voice because they have one, it's just people to understand that they do have a voice and that's important. And to be able to not be displaced because of their economic socio, you know, their, their socioeconomic space. I learned not just that, but I also learned that people have their own power. They just need the, the opportunity to share it, to showcase it. I learned that no matter what you are, what you look like, uh, there are some basic fundamentals of just communing with each other that people are that we're lacking, people really, really, really want so bad. If I could create a table and reimagine the street as a table, then I definitely can help reimagine larger spaces for, for larger impact. So all these experiences at the time, I didn't know that they were so meaningful, impactful to me. Of course, that happens. just life. You don't know until it's gone. And that all of that led me to, hey, you know, how can I actually make this a, a, a company, you know, a, a, a practical application of connectedness through design the built environment. That's what happened. It's just a culmination of all these experiences with all these amazing people. Even though it's a diff it was a different state, I've seen all these people before. Mm -hmm. We tend to see these people again. <laughs> you know, you we're, as, as much as we're all different, we're all the same. Uh, and so when you set up, when you set your workout to be of the heart and of being connected, it's easy to scale. I'll put it that way, if that makes sense. It's easy to mm -hmm. replicate what we did yeah. and it was low cost it didn't cost that much you know yeah. it doesn't you know it, it doesn't take a lot of money to make an impact yeah. it takes yeah. money but you don't have to have that much <laughs> love that story well Winona thanks so much for sharing that bring us up to date then how can our listeners connect with you and follow your sure. company and the work that you're doing yeah, thanks for asking. Would love for uh, your listeners to check us out on uh, www.makerstudio.com. Uh, I also have my own personal website, uh, com, and that, that'll also lead to the business website as, you know, as well. But it has some, some links to videos and other you know, uh, podcasts and other, other things that I've done. 
and just a little bit more about my experiences. Also on our business website, Maker Studio, uh, there's a newsletter that you can sign up for. And of course, we're on social media. I'm always on social media, uh, Twitter and Instagram at Wajisa, uh, W-A-J-I-S-A. It's my two personal accounts. And then both Twitter and Instagram and also Maker Studios on Instagram and Twitter as, as well. Well, we're going to definitely, uh, we'll, we'll have that in the show notes too, so people can see it in print, but uh, let's just, uh, it's a brief reminder that it's M-A-K-H-E-R-S, Make Hers Studio. Mm -hmm. Kirsten, this is just the depth that we love to go, isn't it? I love it. I love it. My heart is full right now. Uh, We always tease each other, uh, Winona, after we hit the record button and we're finished. Kirsten and I go, well, we thought we were going to have a program about real estate development and modular shipping container (laughs) manufacturing. And instead we talked about, you know, community purpose and and changing the world and just changing the world. Uh, So other than that, no. so thanks for coming on with us. Yeah, Yeah, and really appreciate the opportunity to share our story and talk about what we do this way. Uh, We're so so busy working on the business or in it that you don't always have the opportunity to really talk about the soul of what what you do. So uh, I really appreciate your listening and hopefully your followers find it interesting. Yeah, they will. Well, folks, our guest has been Winona Satcher. She combines these ideas of urban design, landscape architecture, city planning, economic, finance, all these things go into a big gumbo of opportunity for people to live <laughs> yeah. in a better world. And yes. uh, that's we just love that. So thanks for sharing that with us, Winona. And listeners, come back again next time. We're going to have another great interview with somebody like this who sees the world outside. I mean, you know, it's so easy to say outside the box. In this case, <laughs> we're saying outside the boundaries, the limits of what we think it, it should and could be. And I love the use of words, all kidding aside, words like reimagine words like pro zillion anything that's re something like rethinking and anything that's pro something like proactive and working towards something so listeners come back again next time for another great episode of IntelliKey leadership stories and until then all the best as you reach for your own IntelliKey, your soul's purpose in your business and in your life you've been listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories with your hosts, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. IntelliKey Leadership Stories is copyright pureintelliKey.com. IntelliKey Leadership Stories.